0: Okay, hi everyone. Daniel here finally with my uh, top 21 albums of 2019. I'll talk about why there's 21 in a minute. Well, there's 21 just because I couldn't really trim any of it down. Um, But I will go pretty quickly through sort of 20 through to 10. So when I think about my favourite albums, obviously there's just something intrinsic in it, the way it's made me feel, the number of times I've listened to it, just how much I've loved it. And And particularly as we get to the top, I would say those albums were just much more consistent end-to-end. And I still love listening to albums. It's still the only way that I really digest music. Um, And so, you know, I guess knowing that the album format, you know, is as strong as ever and, you know, how I'm able to be rewarded for that journey of going through that process end-to-end or that experience end-to-end, I should say, um, you know, really fills me with with a lot of um, a lot of a lot of joy, um, so in terms of I guess what I'll try and talk about today, if I look at end of year lists, there's a couple of things. There's there's one primary driver that gets me there. One is more around okay, I want to hear what other people sort of have to say about albums I've loved or maybe albums I haven't loved and, you know, try and hear a different perspective on that. And I do love a, sort of obviously seeing albums that I'm loved sort of recognised um, in that way as well. But really a sort of byproduct of that over the years has also been an opportunity for me to hear about albums that either I didn't listen to, I didn't give a chance to, or maybe I didn't even know about. And over the last few years, there's No Names Mixtape mix from 2016 or 2017. I have no idea what year it is anymore, even. Um, and last year, Tyra Wax, brilliant, bonkers, Whack World. You know, so it's really given me an opportunity to sort of step out of maybe my usual listening habits and start to expand them into things that I may have missed, albeit those two albums really play very much into, you know, the type of music that I like anyhow. So... As I go through, you know, perhaps you're in one of two or both of those categories. And so I will try and explain a little bit, not just around why I loved the album, but perhaps the sound of it so that it might help you pinpoint, you know, an album um, or a couple even, you know, that you might want to go and give a listen to. And I'd also love to hear from you around what your favourite albums of the year were as well. So when I get this posted, you know, please feel free to, um, to share that with me. Okay, so getting straight into things. 21 um, is an EP, and this is the reason there's 21, really. An EP is obviously just a very short format release, typically around anywhere from four to six, maybe even seven songs. Um, And it's an opportunity for an artist to kind of create and experiment with a sound without all of the kind of big weighted expectations of a full-length album. And in particular, as artists are starting to sort of um, get towards releasing their first major release, um, you know, they will start to release a couple of EPs. And this is just, for me, I'm so excited about what's happening, what's coming out of Chicago in the last few years. No Name is from Chicago. Raven Linnae last year, her EP was excellent. And this Empathy EP just kind of is a Really beautiful, discreet, sort of current take on you know the neo soul of the late 90s. Think, you know, of course, Erica Badu Baduism and Jill Scott, and you know, that was such an important era for me musically, and how it's how to help me evolve into sort of experimenting with different music and maybe even appreciating music in an entirely different way. Um, so that's Gene Doe's Empathy, well worth a little listen. Number 20 is the High Women. Um, so this is a supergroup, a country supergroup um, of four women, including Marin Morris, who is a young up-and-comer who I really, really dig, um, and Brandi Carlisle, who won the album of the year Grammy or record of the year Grammy in the last couple of years at least anyway. Um, it's not the only sort of country female supergroup. There is also the Pistol Annies, which includes Miranda Lambert. Um, I really, really enjoyed this, and I really respected it actually, which might sound like an unusual word, but it's a really, really there's just something really strong um in what these women are saying and, and how they're saying it and, you know, the high women even being a bit of a take on the highwayman. Um and, you know, I think for all of my country freaks out there, I would absolutely encourage you to give this one a listen. It's a really, really high quality, enjoyable country album. 19 is um the album Eve by Rhapsody. Rhapsody is a female rapper um, and has been around for quite a while. Um, and this album is the best rap album of the year. It's not the only rap album on my list, but in terms of just technical execution and excellence, you know, this is just really a masterclass in it. And um, Every song is named after an iconic, inspiring, strong black female, Michelle Obama, Serena Williams, for example. Um, and ultimately underneath that is, you know, rhapsodies sort of rapping about the experience of being a black woman today and, um, you know, working with Ninth Wonder, who is a producer she's got a long collaboration history with, who has worked with, you know, recently Kendrick Lamar, um, Anderson Pack on a few of their um, tracks um, in recent years, and also a couple of great features here D'Angelo and J. Cole. And look, I don't want to suddenly talk about sort of all the men she's collaborating with when actually that's sort of not the point of this album. But actually, I say that because if that does give you sort of an anchor to go and listen to it, um, when it may not be sort of the sort of content perhaps that you would normally gravitate towards. But you know, this is, um, this is excellent. This is really, really an excellent, excellent rap album. 18 is When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? by Billie Eilish. I know that many people will have this in their favourite albums of the year and I completely understand why. Um, I think Billie Eilish is just super cool and super exciting and that there is this kind of young, I mean, what, she's 17 or something still or maybe she just turned 18, you know, female artists coming through who on paper should really be quite irritating and pretentious and, It's just not the case. I mean, there's something so genuine and sincere about her. And I think the music that she's making is just so cool um, that she seems to circumvent any of those pitfalls that perhaps other female artists, um, you know, may be going through. And obviously there's the likes of Bad Guy and Bury a Friend. And the reason that this is probably not in my top 10 is just in terms of that listenability end to end, I didn't love the entire album or listen to it perhaps as much as some of the albums on here, but, you know, I certainly want to give her the kudos I think she deserves. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, many of you will be, um, going even further on that. And just on that, I did watch her carpool karaoke yesterday just by chance. Um, with James Corden, I don't normally watch them that much because, I don't know, I find them a bit twee and I don't really like James Corden. But if you want to sort of see the diversity of talent, uh, the, the, the foundation underlying the music that Billie Eilish creates uh, you just watch her with that ukulele singing this song that she wrote um, herself when she was, like, 12 or something like that and also another track that I actually don't know. I don't know if it's Beatles or it's someone, but just the beauty in her voice, man. It's just not something that you really... I think it, I think it's hidden a little bit on this album um, and really excited. Her new single probably errs more onto a softer, more ambient type of music, and I think it's just going to be really cool to see what she does um, over the years. Seventeen is Baba by Kate Renata, my favourite electronic producer, song creator, collaborator. His album of a few years ago, 99.9%, just blew my mind and is still a massive go-to for me. And, and Baba probably takes, you know, a next step into something that's just, I don't know, I don't want to say credible. I'm probably going to run out of words as we go through this, so forgive me if I'm sort of clutching at straws a bit. But I particularly love that he has this really palatable um, very melodic kind of electronic music in the back and the collaborators that he always chooses to pair, partner with, you know, the Van Jess song Taste, there's Carly Ushis with 10%. Um, and, you know, these kind of just left of the middle, making really good appealing music, um, but perhaps have not quite hit the full mainstream. And, you know, I love that he does that, and I think it just shows sort of that he's got a really, really good ear for music, and I think he obviously knows what he wants to work with and what works for him as well. So that's Kay Trinata with Bubba at 17. That only album only came out a couple of weeks ago, so who knows, over time it might end up sort of climbing the, climbing the rankings in my mind. 16 is uh, dedicated by Carly Rae Jepsen. Yes, I love Carly Rae Jepsen. Um, This album... I would say has kind of evolved into a more mature sound. I don't think she's lost any of the essence of the type of things that she talks about or the fun of her music, but there does seem to be an extra sort of level of maturity in dedicated. And I put too much in one of my top songs of the year. And I mean, you know, you listen to a song and just think, Oh my God, I totally get that. Um, and that's Carly Rae Jepsen, dedicated at 16. So 15, 14 and 13. I'm kind of going to chunk these together and I might regret that because I don't want to dilute any of them, but they all feel to me of a similar ilk. These are um, relatively young female artists, probably not that young, um, certainly not all of them, but who are just really kind of just skirting the boundaries of what a mature pop record might be. Maybe even getting into, I don't want to say adult contemporary or indie. I don't quite know what the label is, but there's Pang by Caroline Polachek, which is probably the more experimental of them all, working with Danny Hull, and she's sort of partnered with PC Music and Charlie XCX on a few collaborations in recent years. She used to be one half of Chairlift and... This is just, this is like nothing I've heard before, in fact, as an album. Um, the sound that she's created is both edgy and yet makes you feel safe as you're listening to it. And there's just some really beautiful lyrics and beautiful moments in this um, album. So that's Pang by Caroline Polachek. of 15. 14 is Immunity by Clyro. I didn't love this album when I first heard it. It just Not that I didn't love it. I was just sort of like, it's a bit boring. And then I listened to her song, Exploder, which is a podcast that the artist breaks down their song, you know, in around 20 minutes, talking about did it start as an idea, as a set of lyrics, as a melody or a beat, and I'll often sort of bring in the producers that they've worked with on that. And the song "Alewife," which is the album opener, I just heard this and I was just absolutely mesmerised by the story and also by the sound of it, and that made me go back and really take a second look and a third look and a fourth look and probably a 50th look by now, and it's just a really great album, and I think... um you know, and other songs like Bags and Sophia, there's just this real sort of undercurrent of energy, but over the top is just this really kind of um, sleek and unassuming sort of smoothness to it. And um, I just, I really loved this album, and I'm so glad that someone got me to take another look and listen um, to it. And then at 13 is Cheap Queen by King Princess, um, who is absolutely very young um, and is a real talent. And probably somewhere more in just the – there's a mainstream sound to it, a very easy listening, but um, when you listen to the lyrics and, you know, when you understand a little bit more sort of about King Princess's character and what she stands for – you know, this album is just got a real sort of sly edge to it. Um, and I, I really love it. The title track's brilliant. I can't remember any of the names of the other songs at the moment, but you know, any of these songs, so Pang by Carol album, sorry, Pang by Caroline policek Immunity by Clyro, Cheap Queen by King Princess. I honestly think every single one of them has absolutely broad appeal. Um, And, you know, if I was to recommend anyone give any albums a go, it's probably those, because I think they're the safest bet in terms of, you know, likability, but certainly none of them can be accused of playing safe one little bit. So I think you'll get a lot of reward um, out of listening to to any of those. Um, Number 12 is When I Get Home by Solange. I love Solange. I mean, for the last few years, I've I've said that she's my favourite artist and I think she's absolutely one of the most important artists. And look, I I loved this album. Um, I guess I'm probably doing not just a relativity to the albums from this year that were also released by other artists. I'm probably also comparing this to some of her other albums and I didn't quite sort of dig into this as much as um, I did for them. And it's really... You know, it's a homage to her sort of hometown of Houston. The visual accompanying video that comes along with the album is just so saloned, you know, avant-garde and visionary. And I love that she's sort of, you know, taking her newfound credibility and fame. I would say to some to some degree, and really helping to kind of educate people around where she's from or what it's like to be a black woman whatever that may be like she actually takes herself seriously but I think what she does is so incredibly important and these are a lot of very very short songs condensed into an album and it just takes you on this beautiful beautiful ride and um, and you know again I can't say enough good things about Solange so I'm gonna move on so we can get to the top 10. Eleven is Clarity by Kim Petrus um, As far as pop albums go, there's a real sort of diversity to these sort of songs and sounds and perhaps even some of these may sound you know, a little bit on trend um, with certainly, you know, other artists and songs and, and, and sounds that they may be doing, but it still really just hangs together at its core. Um, there's Clarity and Icy. Um, Sweet Spot is just like one of the, probably the most likeable, lovable songs of the year, and that's why it was in my top 50 tracks. Um, just one thing I, I will say about the Kim Petras thing. So she has worked on this album and on recent mixtapes with Dr. Luke, who now apparently goes by the name Made in China. And, you know, obviously he's dealing with the fallout um, and retribution around the whole sort of Kesha and the accusations that have been sort of made against him around, you know, abuse, etc. And of course that makes me feel really uncomfortable, but to to know sort of Kim Petrus' background, which is that she was the youngest transgender or youngest gender reassignment surgery in German history, at the time at least, And so part of me is sort of like, well, she's sort of forging her own path as, you know, a really severely underrepresented group. And if she can kind of leverage the hit-making skills of Dr. Luke, you know, maybe that's okay. Maybe there's some kind of, I don't know, ethical washout or balance that happens there. And I know that's a really kind of arbitrary way to look at it, but I guess that's how I'm probably justifying, you know, that to myself and maybe I don't need to, maybe there's that Michael Jackson thing where, you know, evil people can do evil things and you can still listen to their music. I'm not sure how I feel about that, to be completely honest with you. That's a whole other podcast, I suspect. Um, but Clarity by Kim Petras is a really, really brilliant pop album. So that's why it's at number 11. Number 10 is Thank You Next by Ariana Grande. Um, I mean, to think that she released Sweetener, what, like six months before this album is pretty absurd that you could release two albums of this calibre. You know, there is absolutely a, a traditional pop R&B um, sort of landscape that Ariana Grande works within, yet this still feels distinct from Sweetener. It feels more like a kind of bedroom pop album a little bit DIY, I guess, as much as an artist as huge as Ariana Grande can ever sound DIY, but there's almost something really, um, you know, attractively unfinished about it or something. You know, imagine this beautiful ballad which starts off the album. There's, of course, the title track, Thank You, Next, but I think that pales in comparison to songs like, um, you know, Fake Smile and NASA and, of course, Bloodline, which is just like a real sort of sultry Um, almost Caribbean style banger so thank you next Ariana Grande can she do anything wrong I don't know not in my mind at least anyway number nine is Angels Pulse by Blood Orange Blood Orange otherwise known um, as Dev Hines is just this very very talented dude who sort of writes great songs with people, produces great songs with people, you know, Sky Ferreira, um, uh, Solange's EP True from a few years ago. I mean, you know, it's fair to say, and I think it's sort of been acknowledged that he almost created this kind of hipster pop sound, this um, really amazing, interesting sort of thoughtful lyrics and this kind of ambient um, sort of indie pop vibe wrapped around it. But Angel's Pulse is a mixtape. I mean, I just think it's just one of the sweetest listens of the year. A really long list of collaborators, two tracks with Shea, which just pleased me to no end, and I'll explain why as I get um, later in the list. But, you know, as far as sort of smooth R&B, soulful vibes go, um, this album is just, you know, a real winner. Number eight is Charlie by Charlie Xex. I know. Maybe you thought it was going to be higher. Maybe I wanted it to be higher, um, but I think as we get into that consistency piece I talked about earlier, there's just a couple of tracks in the middle that probably just fall a little bit, just a little bit outside of the the broader um, vision, or at least sort of the way it sounds, sort of hanging together, but. I don't want to take away... I think this is the most important album of the year and I think Charlie XCX is the most important artist going around at the moment, pop music or otherwise. I think she has a phenomenal vision. She's super brave. She is absolutely sort of filled with integrity around exactly what she wants to be able to make pop music. And she's worked with PC Music over the last few years, who if you had told me five years ago that they would be making songs as good as gone and as sort of um, broadly appealing as gone, I would have said, like, "Uh uh-uh, absolutely no way. They were an experimental group from East London that Charlie has worked with over the last few years. And their first few sort of outings together were probably a little bit more abrasive. And they've just found this way to kind of bring out the biggest and best freak in Charlie, and she's probably found a way to kind of bring them into that more sort of pop mainstream as well. And I think the, the combination and collaboration between them is just so perfect. And one of the other things I love about Charlie XEX is. You know, she brings people along for the ride with her, people that, you know, don't necessarily get a free pass or aren't already really big established artists. And, you know, that's everyone from sort of Haim and Sky Ferreira, you know, right down to people like Kim Petras and Tommy Cash and Dorian Electra. And, you know, I think she's... um, she, it's almost like she's a bit maternal in that sense that she really is wanting to make sure that, you know, people get to experience different things and that she can bring people along the ride for her because, you know, whatever, 26 or 27 that she is, she has already had a very, very long career and I think really has a solid understanding about the industry Um You know, one song I will call out um, on this, Other Than Gone, which was my favourite track of the year. I was very fortunate to see Christine and the Queens and Charlie XCX perform that twice this year, once at Primavera and once at Brixton Academy. And, yes, I lost my tiny little mind both times. Um, It's a song called Click, and it's the one with Kim Petras and uh, Tommy Cash, and they collaborated on a track a few years ago um, on her Pop 2 mixtape called Unlock It, which um, is probably my favourite Charlie XCX song ever. No, I'm not joking. Um, and click just as a song should not work. But if you want to hear how experimental that Charlie XCX is and how much she's pushing boundaries, and I think making it work in this really cool, unsuspecting way, have a look at Click. But have a listen to Click. It's um yeah, it's a it's an incredibly bonkers and wonderful, wonderful song. Okay, number seven is Lover by Taylor Swift. Uh, are there any events in music? quite like a Taylor Swift album release. And when I say events, I mean you're very traditional. If you think about albums in the old days where it used to be releasing singles to radio and there'd be kind of this anticipatory run-up. You know, she might be using new mediums around the campaigning and releasing music and, you know, different channels, but ultimately it's the same kind of style and I think that's what makes it, you know, still so... Remarkable or comment-worthy, if you will. Is Lover her best album? Not necessarily. I wouldn't absolutely discount that. Let's see how it ages over time. For me, that still goes down to red. But is it her most enjoyable? Absolutely 100%. I mean, this is Taylor Swift, clearly at her happiest, most content, Um, even when she's writing kind of sad breakup songs on this, it's not about sort of, you know, looking back retrospectively about the ways she's kind of been hardly done by by these men. It's looking at the love she's got at the moment and sort of saying, oh, what would it feel like if I lost this? And I think that's a really cool way of kind of maintaining some of the spirit of Taylor Swift and what's made her so successful, but still putting that into the context that she has today um, she worked a lot with Jack Antonoff on this album who has worked on Lord's Melodrama worked with St Vincent. And of course this year on, um, Lana Del Rey's Norman Effing Rockwell. Um, but with Lover, there's a piece in it that I want to talk about. And it's the, the last half of the album where you have songs like False God and Afterglow and It's Nice to Have a Friend. And there is just this great subtle maturity and beauty to these songs and I really and, and also the one about her mum you know soon you'll be better with the Dixie Chicks but there is an album in that sound for her and I don't know what she'll do next who knows who wants to really you know make any bets around where Taylor Swift's going to take her next albums given you know the, the, the kind of rocky road we, we always go on to get there but there, There is. There's a really, really beautiful almost kind of folk pop album in there and I really hope that she explores that sound um, more and more. So that's Lover, Taylor Swift. Uh, I do want to talk about two more songs there actually. One is Cruel Summer. It was in my top tracks of the year. It's as perfect. A pop song, I think, that exists and why she doesn't release things like that rather than the god-awful me, which is just a blight on this album, and I just wish wish it wasn't on there, is beyond me. But, hey, she's the most successful artist in the world, still selling a million hard-copy albums, so, you know, what do I know sitting here on the couch? Um, and uh, if I was a man, which I think is just you know, such a cunningly brilliant way of flipping the script and doing a narrative around sort of the sexism that she's experienced. I'm not saying that everything that Taylor Swift has experienced negatively has been as a result of her gender, but I think, you know, we would be absolutely ignorant to say that, you know, her gender has not played a role in, you know, some of the criticisms that she has received over the years. Number six is Fever by Megan The Stallion. I can't believe that 12 months ago I did not know who Megan The Stallion was um, or that I had not heard her music. Like Just this year, she has just become such a cornerstone of not just my musical listening, but, you know, my fandom. And she did the Tiny Desk concert a few weeks ago. She released uh, Hot Girl Summer, you know, a movement like no other. We were on holidays when that song came out and I have to say it made, you know, it became a theme song for, for one of the days that we had, which was brilliant. But Fever is you know, just hard and playful and, you know, confident and funny and dirty and just, you know, what really stands against all of that is the quality of her songwriting and the raps that she delivers and sort of the ferocity of her raps as well. I mean, you know, when Megan speaks, you know, you just kind of have to listen and, I mean, I could go into some of the one-liners in this, but you know, some of them you just laugh with, thinking that's brilliant. You know, she's there's the line she doesn't even have to, because he just loves how he just loves how she talks. Um, and then, of course, there's a couple of collaborations on it, Juicy J and a baby, and you know, she just goes kind of head-to-head head with these guys who are probably a bit more established, certainly in Juicy J's world, but, you know, Debaby and they don't hold back and neither does she and she's just a super strong, interesting character and, you know, I really, really, really dig her and I really look forward to what she's going to do from an album point of view. So that's Fever by Megan the Stallion. Um, number five is Over It by Summer Walker. I have for years kind of been a little bit, I don't know, despondent, upset, sad about the fact that the, the R&B sound that we grew up with, um, Dark Child, Rodney Jenkins, Jermaine Dupree, whatever that is, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, I just felt like you could kind of hear it sort of underneath some songs, but I just, it made me sad that kids today were not necessarily going to know about that sound or how good it is. And I don't think it had run its course. And last year there was Alamai's boot up. And this year we've got Summer Walker who is just like embracing the shiz out of that sound. I wouldn't even say she's putting that much of a contemporary twist on it. I think she is in terms of the lyrics, but you know, she goes so hard into that era that she, Um, takes lyrics and interpolates an Usher song with Usher on the feature as well. You know, there's the Destiny's Child Say My Name um, reference and there's even Love is a Losing Game, which is more Amy Winehouse, of course. But I mean, this album just made me so damn happy and it is just so, so excellent. Um, and, of course, I've sort of mentioned the reference to, like, the, the kind of old-school R&B, if you will, um, showing my age a little bit, you know, but also the the contemporary vibe of this is through, you know, her sound you know, collaborations with Bryson Tiller, um, Black and Janae Aiko as well. And if you love R&B music like I do, whether that is from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, whenever, you know, give this album a listen. This is Summer Walker over it because it is just, you know, it, it's a joy. It really is. All right, top four now. We've got at four, uh, Late Night Feelings by Mark Ronson. And this is probably my most enjoyed album of the year. I was just surprised by it, I suppose. Um, I love that he's doing, you know, I think Mark Ronson's probably... He's been considered to be quite cool over the years and I almost feel like he's got over himself a little bit there. I'm not saying he hasn't delivered some great stuff. I mean, obviously, he's worked with, you know, Amy Winehouse and they were really, really sort of a tight pairing. There's the brilliant track with Bruno. Um, But I just feel like he's kind of lost a little bit of his ego or um, self-consciousness. I don't know what it is. Um, But this album is just, you know, pairing with some brilliant, strong... Um, independent female vocalists and songwriters and just really finding this glorious pop folk kind of vibe underneath it. And I think Late Night Feelings is a great, you know, album title and I think it really does what it says on the label as well the two Licky Lee tracks in particular um Late Night Feelings amazing the Miley Cyrus song from last year of course is on this there's the Angel Olsen track um and you know I just I really can't speak highly enough of it I I really 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 dug this album a lot and listened to it to absolute death um Number three, we have Magdalene by FKA Twigs. Um, I, when I heard Cellophane, I was um, I was taken aback and in a really, really good way. You know, FKA Twigs is so often hidden behind, or her voice has at least, been a little bit consumed by the more sort of industrial experimental grind of some of her songs. I mean, you know, the, the essence and the emotion in those songs has always been 100% there, delicate, fragile, Um, beautiful um, tracks um, even when they're sounding sort of a little bit more abrasive than that Um, and in this she not only goes a bit full on Kate Bush in cellophane and her voice absolutely sort of comes to the front and centre and it's an absolute beauty Um, but also we kind of do hear a sort of refreshed take on sort of the fk twigs of old if you will and some of those more typical sounds but there is something else going on here there's different bits that are amplified um and the one album that this reminds me of most of all is madonna's ray of light particularly a track like sad day um, I just, you know, I, I think this is absolutely exquisite, and once again, she's putting her heart on the line. This is an album about heartbreak, and it's hard not to kind of look at her relationship with Robert Pattinson, and the disintegration of that, and Her experience, of course, when they first got together, I mean, let's not forget that she was abused on Twitter for looking like a monkey by all of these Twilight fans who, you know, didn't feel that she was deserving enough to be with Robert Pattinson. And I don't care how cool you are or, you know, how able you are to explain those things away. Those things have got to ultimately take a toll and hurt. And the song cellophane, you know, when she says they want to see us, want to see us apart, you know, they want to see us, want to see us alone. I, I can't help, and I don't want to get too much into kind of, you know, celeb gossip territory here, but I can't help but think about that moment and what that must have been like and ultimately what sort of pressure that might put on personal relationships. But I just want to thank FKA Twigs for consistently being vulnerable, putting her emotions on the line so that we're able to experience this beautiful music and, you know, the vision that she has and, my favourite show of this year was, um, my favourite live show was seeing her at Primavera Festival, debuting a lot of the songs on Magdalene, which I'd not heard before. And it felt, quite frankly, almost spiritual. I was very emotional and it was, uh, it was absolutely beautiful. And of course, some of my favourites from her, from her old albums as well. So yeah, FKA Twigs, Magdalene, she's still an absolute rock star and one of my favourites. Okie dokie, two to go. Thanks for bearing with me. Um, I've probably talked a little bit more than what I had had planned, but maybe I should have probably expected that to be the case. Number two, I'm pulling out Songs for You by Tina Shea, and I don't know that you'll see this in anyone else's top ten, let alone top two albums of the year, but this is such an important album for Tina Shea. Her album Aquarius, which she released a few years ago, was absolutely one of the most standout, awesome r&b indie r&b whatever you want to call it um sort of debut albums and you know through that she was getting compared a lot to sort of janet jackson there's certainly this kind of funky edge that sort of underpins it all albeit with this really kind of abstract layering over the top the collaborators that she worked with but before that she was quite renowned for doing these really Intricate experimental mixtapes that maybe not unlike FKA Twigs. Come to think of it, there's the song "Vulnerable" um, that one that certainly speak uh, sort of comes to mind. But since Aquarius, Tinashe has released a couple of mixtapes and um, also one album. And there was this tension with her record label where some of the songs that she was releasing were brilliant. Company and last year's. Um, Uh, I can't remember the name of the one about the basketball, Um, but they were kind of pushing her into a direction that was clearly not what she was about. Shea is a DIY visionary artist who literally made a mixtape in her bedroom one time when she was home for Christmas called Amethyst and it's absolutely exquisite and she was releasing songs like this one called Fire which is this big ballad and you know, a track with Chris Brown and it just it just didn't fit or work. And so she's been going through a bit of tension with them. And this album is basically her stepping out. She started her own record label. She was able to sever her ties with the record company this year. And this is the ultimate accomplishment and validation and vindication for her, I think. This is the Tina Shea, the mixtape bedroom vibe Tina Shea, albeit with just this sort of stunning production over the top. The features are brilliant. There's the track um, Die a little bit with Miss Banks, which is just this kind of dance floor killer. Um, There is the beautiful stormy weather, which is just this kind of, you know, in one song, there's probably 11 different elements at play, much like a stormy weather pattern, I guess. Um, and, you know, there's the, the the kind of the pop bit. Uh, she's she's just playing with so many different sounds here and they all just work and they all still feel like Tinochet. And I've loved this album since it came out. I really have. And I just wish her the greatest success and I hope that she's in a better place and I hope she's able to now complete, you know, com- continue to release... Um, you know, the sort of music that she wants to and the sort of music that she's done so successfully in the past, even if it hasn't quite captured, you know, the worldwide sort of um, global audience um, that perhaps she and certainly her record label were were chasing. Okay, my number one album for the year is Norman Effing Rockwell by Lana Del Rey. I mean, this album, I just, I, I can't stop talking about how beautiful, how brilliant, how expansive, how grand. Um, And I have not been a Lana Del Rey fan over the years. I'm not saying that I've disliked her. I've just, since her first album, I was a bit like, okay, video games was brilliant. But as an album artist, I'm not quite sure she's got enough going on there for me. And maybe that means I've dismissed albums like Ultraviolence and a few others along the way. You know, hey-ho, but Norman Effing Rockwell is a thing of absolute beauty and just it's incredible it is absolutely incredible uh, from end to end I mean I, I can't believe also that she's worked with Jack Antonoff on this album uh, just considering the work that he's done with Taylor Swift and Lord, where he's kind of into bigging up sounds I guess rather than kind of shrinking them down and I know he's worked with St. Vincent and a few others but the way he's able to the way they're able to together I think, really kind of bring out her voice, strip back some of the music and darkness, but make bring that forward in other ways, like through the lyrics or just through amplifying certain components of of the music and the melody and the mood. And... I cannot stop listening to this album. It's an hour and eight minutes, which I also love because albums are rarely that long, and if they are, they're not this good. I mean, you know, Venice Bitch is like ten minutes long, and you just don't even notice it when you're in it. Like the song just feels like a normal length song because it just takes it with takes it takes you with it. Uh, from end to end and a few other things I really loved about this. Obviously, Lana Del Rey is kind of known for her kind of Americana uh, influences and certainly the California um, vibe and uh, atmosphere that she creates, not just sort of lyrically referencing it, but I think there's certainly like a, the, the, the sonic um, landscape that she's operated in has certainly been a nod to that over the years. But um, there's also just this gender playing that she does in it. If I think about Mariner's Apartment Complex, uh, a standout, standout song on the album and, you know, of my life, I'm not going to sort of downplay that, um, where she says, you know, I'm your man and she's kind of taking on that role of, you know, using that as, as emblematic of the strength and the way she's going to care for her man and there's the bit about, you know, the, the boats and if you're lost at sea, you know, look to my boat or whatever it is. Um, and in, you know, Norman Rockwell uh the the title track which is the opener um as well and you know that's probably more of a cynical song where she starts to uh you know um why wait for the best when i can have you there's just there's just a lot of tension i think across this album both good and bad that she plays with around male and female relationships and sort of the underlying feelings and qualities and characteristics of them um, right down to the cover that she does of the Sublime track, Doin' Time. Um, and, you know, I first thought that she did that song because of the fact that it was from a man's perspective and he's kind of talking about, in the original song, about, you know, the the woman treats him like shit or whatever it may be. And actually, when I've done some more reading on it, they're one of her favourite bands and they were sort of almost um, acknowledged with creating the most kind of California-esque vibe of any musicians. And I I just think there's so much cool stuff going on in this album and even the last part of the album, which has kind of been this secret treasure chest that I've got to more and more over the time with hope is a dangerous thing for a woman like me to have, but I still have it, and the greatest... Um, there are others as well. Uh, this album is just a phenomenon and it, I, there was no, no argument, there was no consideration, no dispute that this is absolutely my favourite album of the year and I really hope that everyone gives it a shot. Um, I have no doubt that many of you will already have done that and will no doubt already be thinking it's, you know, it's, it's a standout or perhaps even your best, but... That's it. And I think I've probably talked long enough now. I didn't even have to sort of cut a break in there. So if I start waffling on or if I did waffle on a little bit in there, thanks, it just means I can get this done in one take um, and don't have to think about it too much. Um, I really do look forward to hearing what your favourite albums of the year are and, you know, I'm going to plan to do this more this year. I'm sort of really starting to think about what I want to prioritise and um, I'd love to sort of hear your ideas and feedback around how this can be better. I know that some people have suggested sort of finding a bit of a sparring partner um, to to talk with and mull these things over and I'd love to hear from anyone who might be interested in that as well. Otherwise, that's my 2019 uh, year as a wrap. Um, I do plan on doing something relating to the top um, 50 tracks at the end of January. Hopefully you've seen that playlist and you can give that a go. And yeah, um, I look forward to, uh, to talking with you all again.